Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Welcome to another exciting episode of SFP Now um, with our, um, as per usual, Doctor Who review um, for the third, is it the third episode? Third episode of Robot of Sherwood. Yeah, the Robot of Sherwood and of course joining me is Raisa. Unfortunately, uh, Patrick um, isn't able to join us tonight. Um, he's on, like, kind of gotten trapped in um, a causal time vortex, loopy, loopy doopy tiny whiny Scienty winty type thing. Cool. You know, we, we can't go into too much detail, but you know, hopefully we'll have him back next week in one piece. Awesome. Or his his pieces and atoms might be scattered. <laughs> you, you never know. Um anyway, um Robin you know, robots of Sherwood or ro- the robot of Sherwood. Um before we before we do that, let's very, very quickly recap what we've had so far. Yes. So far we have had a premiere in which uh, Clara basically had an existential crisis in relation to the Doctor's regeneration, dovetailing the Doctor's own existential crisis in pre-usual as relative to uh, regeneration because it's not a minor thing to suddenly just become a holy person. Then the second episode, uh, we had uh, a uh, Into the Dalek, which was a fantastic voyage homage, a rather lovely fantastic voyage homage, Although the thematic underpinning is, yet again, the Doctor's PTSD, 12th Doctor edition. So that was, you know, uh, fairly boilerplate, except for Capaldi's performance sold it. Mm-hmm. And, and so now we have the best episode, in my opinion, uh, of the season so far, Robot of Sherwood. Yep, I, I've got to agree with you that it's the best episode of the season so far, but I've actually read a few negative reviews from people that it's, actually hated it. It's one of those episodes that either you love it or you hate it. Um, I'm actually predisposed to really enjoy that kind of storytelling I always have. And so I went in really expecting something awesome, and I got something awesome. And I've actually already watched the episode twice. I bought it on, on iTunes the day after it aired the first time, and I've, I've seen it twice, and I plan to watch it a third time before the new episode this Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, so you liked it. Oh, a lot. <laughs> I really, really a lot on, a, on an assortment of levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and before we actually get to the episode itself, I would like to mention, just because it's too adorable to pass up, that in the uh, Doctor Who extra for the episode, they brought up the fact that Peter Capaldi celebrated his 56th birthday while filming the episode, and they brought him cupcakes on set in a Dalek-shaped cupcake holder. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you, you do know that actually makes him officially older than William Hartnell was when William Hartnell took on the role. Yes, which is so awesome because even if you factor in the stunt double, which was obviously used, he definitely did at least part of that fencing sequence on his own, which <laughs> which which means that he is closer to Pertwee than Hart- Hartnell because you know if it had been a Hartnell episode, that it, it would have been either William Russell or Peter Purvis on that log. Mm-hmm. And and so the, the fact that he did even part of that means that he's closer to the Pertwee mold than the Hartnell mold, which was very heartwarming. Well, I think he's closer than Pertwee mold anyway. With 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 the uh, with the jacket, you know, certainly his dress sense is closer to the Pertwee mold. With the expe- with the exception of the uh, of the crazy cravats. Yes, and and the signet ring, which is a nod to the first Doctor, and also a um, a ring to cover up his wedding ring, which he never takes off. Mm-hmm. 
I I love that fencing scene. You know. Oh God, beautiful! <laughs> I just saw like I I just saw cracks up at that because he's fighting him with a spoon. <laughs> yes, yes, and 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 with confidence, which says everything. Mm-hmm. So it's it it just it was the whole thing was heartwarming. Um, in terms of the plot. Um, again, putting the Doctor Who episode aside as a Doctor Who episode, let me just say, as a Once Upon a Time viewer, I really appreciated this take on uh, Robin Hood because the this is a, a better was a better take for me than what they've been doing on Once Upon a Time. So just just the fact that this was a, Ro- a Robin Hood episode that was really really good <clears throat> made up for the fact that Once Upon a Time has sort of jumped the shark with what they're doing with Robin Hood. It kind of re- it kind of reminded me a little bit of Men in Tights. In part. Yes, yeah, only better. Mm, I don't know. I thought Men in Tights was pretty good, <laughs> <laughs> even though it wasn't meant to be pretty good. It was meant to be pretty bad, but you know, <laughs> yeah, it was sort of like uh, unlike some Robin Hoods, I can speak with an English accent. <laughs> oh God. Uh, it still cracks me up that guy into this this day. I I I love some of Mel, the Mel Brooks movies. Um, that, that's one of my favourites. Fat and Space mm-hmm. Wars. Yes, yes. You know, and and obviously Young Frankenstein as well. Yes. Oh, awesome, awesome stuff. But yeah, I I I love the episode. I thought I thought the banter between the two was you know between the Doctor and Robin Hood was hilarious. Yes, and I also I, I really appreciated just because I'm one of those lit geeks who often you know thinks about the the line between myth and reality and history and all this stuff. I appreciate the fact that when Gatiss was putting the episode together, he went with ultimately Robin was real mm-hmm. because he he didn't have to, but he he chose to. And he to- chose to tie that thematically with um, with the doctor's own uh, existential crisis, and you know what's a hero and, and what's real. And I, I I just really appreciated it. it was it was it was heartwarming not only as for for a Doctor Who fan, but for a, for a Robin Hood fan and for a, a lit fan to actually just say you know this is real. Mm, yeah, but there's actually uh, you know there is actually so like. Uh... So, some evidence to actually support the fact that Rob, Robin Hood what was real. The, the, only, um, the only question is, um, did he rob from the rich to give to the poor, or did he rob from the rich to give to himself? And uh, yeah, I think it was yeah. Probably the and, then, and there's also some question as to who specifically he was. But there's there's some general evidence to suggest that there were people who fulfilled that role. Um, although the the evidence as to a specific identity is is murky. Let's mm-hmm. call it. And and the, the the most convincing of 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 them, you know, he he was hung. Yes. Yes. You know, so and and he didn't rob from the rich to give to the poor either. <laughs> no, no, he didn't. He didn't. That was pretty much a um, an invention of the nineteenth century. Mm-hmm. So if you go back to the the earlier stuff, Robin Hood was um, much more mercenary and a great deal darker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I thought it was a I thought it was a lovely episode, um, lovely homage to Robin Hood. I I thought Ben Minger was fantastic. Um, oh my god, he was beautiful, beautiful. Un- unfortunately, he, he he didn't really get enough scenes for me. I I would have liked to have seen a bit more of his sheriff. Yes, did you get that email I sent about what the deleted scene was? Um, I did, but I didn't I didn't have time to read it. So basically, the deleted scene um was the. The, the final duel between them, there's a point at which um, the sheriff gets Robin's sword away from him, and Robin thinks he's, he's done for, and the doctor throws a tapestry over the sheriff, and Robin gets his sword back and chops the sheriff's head off, and the sheriff's head rolls onto the floor, and Claire is all, awesome, you defeated the sheriff, and then suddenly the sheriff's head starts talking, the, the disembodied head starts talking, and the disembodied head monologues for a while, and we find out that the uh, the sky ship that the, the sheriff found with the robots in it, actually, he, he found it because it fell on him. <laughs> and because it fell on him, he was so damaged that the ro- robot knights came and they fished him out, and they fixed him up, and he's basically a cyborg. Oh, wow. And then, yeah, and then, so he's the robot of Sherwood. And at that, and then at, at, at a certain point, the uh, Robin then throws uh, the sheriff's head back to him, and the sheriff puts it back on, and their duel res- resumes to the to the to the part that we see. And basically, what was lost was essentially a minute worth of footage. 
Damn. I mean, that's, um, you know, it's a minute worth footage, but it's actually quite interesting footage and stuff yes. like that. Yes, I yes. think they should have just left it in. They should have just left it in. You know? I, I, it's, it's very hard because I, I get why they took it out, but in context, it's not what we were led to believe. You know, it's so like they, they kind of took it out because, because of the uh, journalists that were murdered earning last week. Yes. And yes. you know, and I failed to see what, what, what the big reveal about the sheriff of Nottingham being a cyborg has to do with journalist. I think it yeah. was just the actual beheading sequence itself. Yeah, but I had a beheading sequence where with one of the robot knights seeing here on in the in here on in the um in, 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 in the show. So, you know, in, in context that's just as that's just as violent. The sheriff actually stabbing one of the villagers right at the beginning of, of the show. That that's pretty gruesome. Yes, it is. It's true. It's, you know, it's, it's just it's just the BBC pandering. You know, they should have just left it in. And I'll hopefully it'll get it'll end up on the DVD. I, I hope it does, because um, it's, it's a real shame. I, you know, now that I know what what's in that scene, I want I want to I want to see it. But as I said in my review, it didn't seem to take anything away from the episode. But knowing now, yes, you know, it kind of took some. It kind of took something away, didn't it, really? Yeah, because you, um, because you're you're left wondering why it was called Robot of Sherwood Singular when there were multiple robots, and it's because the sheriff was a cyborg. Mm. So yeah. It's uh, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 pretty bad that you know. I'm just sort of like uh, eh. But then again, this is the same BBC that puts it up against X Factor every week. But it's not done it any harm either. No, no. But so. it, you know, way way to go BBC. They're thinking they're thinking with their wallets. Um, I think if they include that scene and reinsert it into the edit that they release on DVD, the DVD sales are going to go through the roof. Yes. Plus, I'm sorry, but Ben Miller as a disembodied head would have been worth it right there. Yeah, that's but, comedy gold. Yes. <laughs> You know, I mean, any time you see a disembodied head talking, that's comedy gold. It doesn't matter if it's being serious or comedic. It's just funny. Yeah, because while the head is talking, the body is actually threatening Clara with a dagger to get <laughs> to, to get the head back. So, I mean, it, 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 was, an, it was an awesome scene. And, and I'm sorry, actually, that we didn't see it. But I, I kind of get what the BBC was doing. Mm-hmm. But hopefully we will see it in some context later on. Yeah, but you know, bringing episode, um, you know the the whole whole thing, you know the dying up between Knara and the sheriff. Yes, the the one quibble I have, and this is purely subjective, is that I I honestly feel that Gatiss missed a callback opportunity in that exchange, and I and I wrote about this in my original comments on the on your review. Yeah, but um, you remember this is fragments, Knara. And Fragments Clara might true. not necessarily remember that encounter because that encounter took place before, you know, before the this whole thing. This is true. This is true. And there's a further there's a further callback because when you realize um, when Robin is dragging Clara out the window, it's a callback to the snowman and the and the snow governess dragging uh, um, Victorian Clara to her death off the cloud. Mm-hmm. And I I so I, that's that's another. Um, visual callback without the actual dialogue to go with it. Yeah, but you know, I, you know, I think, um, I think, it, I think also the the dying og her, her calling back to that, it probably would have um, added um, added a bit of unnecessary time to the episode. It would have, it would have. Um, plus, I think I realized, assuming my theory is right, and we're dealing with either, and we're dealing with some version of Fragment Clara here. Um, if he put overt dialogue in there, he wouldn't be able to be sneaky and subtle and use the flashbacks, you know, as a as a callback in the in the finale and go aha, you know, with with unsubtle with unsubtle flashbacks. He'd have to have subtle flashbacks so that he could piece them together and go, I was tricking you the whole time. Aha! I'm yeah. not going to go out with you. I had an opportunity. I had an opportunity to go out with the Emperor of the Universe, who's half the size you are. <laughs> Yeah, that said, it would have been the perfect callback because because given that he knew about star travel and aliens and all that stuff, it would have been a great way to just one-up him. Um, but given that we're not dealing with the same Clara that we were dealing with when that happened, it makes sense now that they took that out. It's kind of funny, though, because Warwick Davis, who, who did that role last year, and he was also he also had a guest role in Mergen, if you remember, as a, as a yes. bridge, as a, as a guy to guard in the bridge. 
Um, he's now he's now game show host here in the UK. He's actually hosting um, a reboot of Celebrity Squares. Oh God, which really? Is, yeah, which is an old old game show from the seventies and eighties. I can't decide whether that's a, a come down or a promotion. Mm, it's reg it's a wrecking it's wrecking a work. I guess it's a promotion. <laughs> yeah, so you know, I think I think um, any actor worth his salt, whether he's gonna whether he's gonna do do comedy drama or whatever, uh, if you get an opportunity to, to do wrecking a work, irrespective of whether it's soap opera or a game show, you you're just gonna grab it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also in, in terms of Clara's arc, um the, the episode itself, the entire episode, the fact that it was built around themes of heroism and identity and what was real and what isn't. Um, even though there are no overt callbacks to the impossible girl apart from her being dragged out the window, the very fact that they're continuing with the themes of identity um, is, says to me that, that it's going to come up for Clara too because, because her entire impossible girl, she's fractured arc speaks to that. And even though it's very important to have the doctor as the titular character, have his identity crisis. They've been pounding into our heads since the show came back in 2005 that the companions are just as important. So to fracture her like that and then not overtly deal with it um, since it happened uh, doesn't structurally make sense. Mm -hmm. they're, gonna, they're going to have to cover it. And I think they are covering it. They're just not, not beating us over the heads with it yet. It, it 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 doesn't make sense for them to to not cover it. You know, it's so like uh, it's funny because I was watching um, Amazon um, as part of the uh, as part of the Doctor Who uh, series. Um, they've got a couple of documentaries um, with that Peter Ho Peter Davison hosts mm -hmm. um, available uh, to Amazon members in the UK that 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 subscribers to the video service and, and I, buy I think I, I, th I think we saw them on BBC America, the Ultimate Doctor and the Ultimate Companion. Yeah, that's the one, and, yep. and also What Is Doctor Who is another one they've got on there. Well, they're, they're actually uh, they're actually available free on Amazon here in the UK at the moment um, as mm. part of the, you know that that you can sort you can just download and watch them and and uh, the episodes have only started coming on to Amazon um, this past couple of weeks sort of thing. It took a little time for them to to get the uh, get the get the premiere episode on there, but they're all on there now. Mm, cool, cool. So it's um, so I've been I've been toying with the idea of buying those, but you know now knowing that the um, that 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 scene was cut and what it was, and you know maybe the chance of it being on DVD, I'm probably going to hold out and just get the DVD. Yeah, you're probably better off doing that. Um. So um, you know, we ha had a uh, Tom Ryan as Robin Hood. Um, are you with me in that the chemistry between him and Capaldi was actually really good? It was awesome. It was so good that I was sorry that uh, Robin Hood couldn't be a companion. Yeah, that would have been cool. Yes, yes. You know, yeah. I'm like uh, the Doctor and Robin Hood putting right, putting putting right things that once went wrong in the universe. Oh God, the the universe would just be toast. Yeah, the universe just wouldn't stand a chance. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's funny actually because I think in one of the big Finnish adventures they they had the Doctor partnered up with a with an historical character, didn't they? It was the Musketeers. Did yeah. they? Yeah, they did. They did the Musketeers. That was one of the ones that I reviewed in conjunction with Capaldi as Cardinal Richelieu. You know what the ultimate one would be, and they did try it in the um, in the eighties series, but it kind of like. Uh, Fell fell well well short of what it could have been. You know, to have have the Doctor traveling through time with um HG Wells. Yes, that would that would have been that would have been awesome. Yeah. yeah. And 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 they they did do an adventure in, with HG Wells in the eighties. Yeah, it was just not one of their better efforts, unfortunately. Just pretty sad. <laughs> Sort of thing. Well, that, yeah. that'd be pretty cool. But you know, the Do Doctor Who and Robin Hood. I don't think they've done that before. I think they've done Doctor Who and Ivanhoe. Did they do Ivanhoe? I I think they I don't think they actually did Ivanhoe. They did something in around about the same era. It was the Crusades, yeah. The Crusades, but I don't yeah. think they, I don't think they featured Ivanhoe. But I remember there was a Crusades episode. They featured Richard the Lionheart in one of the first Doctor ones. That's the one, yeah. But they could do one with Ivanhoe now. Come think for that, would be a pretty cool idea. They could, they could, and it would actually be I think even more effective than Robin Hood, and that's saying a lot. Mm -hmm. 
And, and they could do one with Spartacus, but, you know, um, it wouldn't be a PG rating. No, no. <laughs> and, tw- and and 12 would be the perfect one for a, for a Spartacus crossover if they did that. But the problem with that is that... Um, they're not going to bring they're not going to bring Capaldi's doctor back to Rome in any context until they're ready to actually deal with the whole he looks like Conchelius thing, which yeah. I think is is why partly at the meta level you had Clara asking for Robin Hood and not for Marcus Aurelius, even though Clara apparently had Marcus Aurelius on her wall at fifteen. Wow. So yeah, that 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 that'd be pretty fun. I mean, it's sort of like. Uh... It's it's kind of funny that they that 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 they actually did an adventure where 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 Clara got to uh, got to meet one of the historical heroes because every time they've done that in the past with other companions, they've usually deviated and went off and done something else. Yeah, yeah, and I, but you know, I was sort of left wondering what part of Clara's fractured self was asking for Robin Hood because ever since they had her at Cole Hill um, in the 50th Doctor special and then also mentioning that poster on her wall, she's she's referenced uh, Marcus Aurelius twice. So is this, you know, different shows for different moods or is this the fractured Clara asking for something different because she's fractured? You know, they, they could go either way. Yeah, they, they, they could. Um, I mean, I think the next episode, um, next episode's called uh, Silence, isn't it? Or something? No, no. Next episode is... Um, Listen. Yeah, listen. I knew it was something to do with sound. Yeah, and it's uh, it's Moffat going down his Moffat rabbit hole again. And if it's as good as the early reviews suggest, he may get another Hugo off it. Um, but they're apparently going to have multiple time frames and some really scary monsters and some some of the mythology stuff is going to come back in overtly. Cool. The reason I mention that is because we're going to get another. Um, we're going to get another glimpse of Danny Pink in that episode. Yeah, and we're also going to get a uh, future relative of his, Orson Pink. So it's going to get interesting. Cool. Yes. Or should I say Orson? Yes, Orson. <laughs> um, um, anything else you wanna? No, I think we've pretty much covered it. I, I think we have as well. Uh, now it's actually time for our interview. I didn't actually introduce this at the beginning of the show. Uh, but we have a great interview with the uh, writer and artist of um, a brilliant new uh, comic book um, called Mulp. And the writer is uh, Matt Gibbs and the artist is Sarah Duncan. And, um, and, and this, is our, this is basically our interview with, with, with uh, Matt Gibbs and Sarah Duncan about Mulp, which is best described, and I know you've read it, Raisa. Basically described is um, Indiana Jones with mice. In, indeed. <laughs> so, yeah. without further ado, uh, we're just going to whip right round to this interview. I'd like to welcome uh, Matt Gibbs and Sarah Dunkerton to the show, um, the, the writer and artist of um, a new comic book which is um, out now and it's called Mope Scepter, Scepter of the Sun. <laughs> How are you guys yeah. doing? Very well, Ian. Very well. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's great having you. I mean, you know, we have comic, pe- comic people on here quite a bit. It's just so like... Uh, you know, it, it, it's usually a it's usually a project that kind of interests me if I do sort of thing. It's, um, oh. You know, I'm I'm um, I'm very I'm very choosy. Well, well it's all yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and 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 then when I got no one to interview, I'm less discriminating. Oh, we're feeling all special for a second, man. Well, you know, I I, I liked your I liked your book, so you know, thank I you. kind of yeah, wanted to talk you. to you about it. Um, which uh, leads me to my first question, which is, uh, how, how did you both find your way into comics? Because, um, it, it, you know, it, there seems to be a lot of interesting stories about how, how people have found their way into comics. And, like Some have gone from journalism and some have come into it from, from a less traditional route. So I'm just kind of curious to hear, hear, hear your stories. Well, I got into comics actually through uh, a good friend of mine, Corey Brotherson. Um, we both worked at the same company and we were both working for Sony Computer Entertainment Europe. Uh, on PlayStation.com, and uh, we both, outside of work, had interests in telling stories. Uh, mine was more, at the time, focused on screenplays and doing kind of short film, and uh, Corey had always solidly been a comic book fan. I mean, I, I'd been into comics when I was younger, 
but uh, I think I basically lapsed for a few years uh, and I stopped like uh, picking up kind of like new books. But um, yeah, spending time with Corey, chatting with him, he convinced me to uh, give comics a go as well, and I've not looked back since, really. Cool. I've, I've met Corey, actually. Um, I met him a couple of years ago mm. at a Thought Bubble. Nice guy. Oh, he's lovely. He's, he's great. Yeah. You love Corey. <laughs> um, for me, um, well, I've always been into drawing. Um, I did... Uh, a degree in illustration at uni and um, for my final year project I did um, like concept sort of sketches and stuff for a comic idea I had um, but hadn't actually kind of like worked up into a finished thing. Um, funnily enough um, my friend and fellow um, uh, uni uh, student uh, Jenny Gilblad who did um, who's worked with Corey actually <laughs> um, she invited Matt um, to our um, a London exhibition and I didn't meet Matt that night but he took up one of my postcards and contacted me a little while afterwards and we ended up working together on um, Bayou Arcana, um, uh, Songs of Loss and Redemption and that was my first um, kind of comic book story really. Mm, yeah it's an anthology which uh, mm. Jimmy Pearson was organising and uh, he asked for kind of like um, basically an open call for contributions and um, I had an idea for a story, didn't have an artist, but I just remembered Sarah's lovely work from her degree show. So um, I think probably through Jenny, um, I More got in touch likely. with you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, we just got chatting and uh, yeah, kind of raced on story and discovered we got on well enough. we didn't try and kill each other by the end of it Uh and um yeah so we started batting around like ideas of perhaps a a longer project to do together Mm. and that's how we came up with mold cool yeah yeah um um, it's funny actually because i've met jenny as well oh okay she's brilliant isn't she (laughs) yeah i i met i I met pretty much everyone involved in 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 that um that that's i can't remember what it's called steampunk steampunk project Mm. uh, yummy as well yeah. yeah, I met met Yoms. Yoms is a very, you know very gregarious character, really nice guy. Really, really outgoing. Yeah, yeah that's a nice way to put it. Yeah, he's definitely a force of nature. Um, well, they all are, I think. Absolutely, which is kind of funny because I'm I'm kind of reserved. <laughs> so. Oh God, meeting Jen for the first time, I feel slightly reserved. It's quite breathtaking. Mm-hmm. I love her. Don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, how, how does the uh, how does the how did the creative process work on on Mulp? Um, I mean, you you know, in terms of mixing mixing the uh, text and, and and the visual parts, um, was he was was it just a case of Sarah you sending sending map pictures or was it song like um, bits of script back and forth? Sort of thing. Uh, it was pretty much um, Matt would um, yeah provide me with a script and yeah it was it was very very straightforward he'd write it all up and I'd work from the script. Do you wanna? Mm, yeah, I mean, basically what we we did is I I like to do like quite um, a long outlining kind of process. Mm. So even before getting to the script, um, Sarah and I would work on this outline together. So I would write out the ideas, run it past like Sarah, see what she kind of thought of it. We can tweak bits. And bobs at that stage yeah and then uh, i tend to write up a script which again is open for kind of sarah's kind of input and we're lucky enough to have luke foster mm. who uh helped us out with kind of like editing sort of the script as well because it's always just really good to get another pair of eyes on things just to make sure that you're not making any kind of like clunky mistakes mm-hmm. um and then from there we kind of move on to uh, like a thumbnailing kind of process which we both kind of comment on as well yeah uh, that way we can kind of we can kind of like refine um the page layouts and the um the scripts and panels and things and see whether things are working whether things aren't and yeah kind of tweak a little bit there as well while matt's writing up the um outline and the script i'm designing characters and concepts and stuff (laughs) so as soon as the script's finished i can go through it um, gather any further sort of research and reference i need and then begin sort of thumbnailing and yeah, once the thumbnails are done and the script is how we want it, um, I start doing kind of like the final sort of pencils, uh, inks and colours. Mm. And then at the very end, we'll probably do another pass of all the dialogue mm. to make sure that that works and fits 
um, with the final kind of visuals, the final look of things. So sometimes you'll find that the bits that are just clunky or don't need to be um, quite as long as they were, or even actually need to be said sort of at all. So it have like a final pass trimming stuff. Uh, and then um, we were very lucky to work with Jim Campbell. Yes, was, indeed. I uh, kind of did all the lettering sort of like for Mulp mm. for us. So, and he did an amazing job with it too. So, yeah. uh, it's very collaborative at every single kind of stage. And we just um, make sure that, um, yeah, a, a lot of Skype chats, a lot of mm. chats with each other. And uh, it's just constantly just, like checking in, more yeah. just so we can kind of squeal about mice. <laughs> really. Pretty much. Well, after every single sort of um, full page of pencils or completed page of inks and colours and stuff, I send it off to Matt. If there are any kind of like last minute tweaks and stuff, I can. Um, tweak a panel or in some cases redraw a panel so there's constant sort of back and forth was there any point during the uh, during the process of um of, of, of doing more matt where where you was totally blown away by by by, by one one of the drawings but that's yeah every day i mean i i love mice and i love sarah's artwork so <laughs> i think she's beautifully captured the characters in terms of like their expressions and their mannerisms so some of that is in script some of that is sarah's interpretation of the dialogue adding extra kind of nuances uh to sort of reinforce what they're kind of saying but yeah no I, it's a joy seeing sort of a, a finished page coming from sarah sort of like completely colored so I, I get really excited every time so um but there's one page in particular which was the in some ways it was kind of the image that uh started it all which mm. is on like page eight yeah. in our story which is the mice um in egypt uh, i guess i probably should explain exactly what the book is about uh <laughs> it's, it's a pulp adventure uh set uh in the very late 1920s early 1930s where uh it's a world completely populated by mice and uh the main character jack redpath has been invited to egypt by his best friend uh cornelius field uh because cornelius and the professor that he's staying with are having a bit of trouble on the psychological dig that they're on uh, and at the dig site what's happened is they've unearthed uh this giant skull uh this human kind of skull in the sand and they've found a, a stone which is very much like the rosetta stone mm. with various different languages coming on it there's uh but um, yeah, the main thing is that there's that page eight. It's got this fantastic kind of image which Sarah did of the archaeological dig and the, the human skull in the sand being uncovered by all these little mice archaeologists, mm. which is just beautiful and perfect and very much was the entire idea and inspiration behind Malk in the first place. It literally was. I remember um, when Matt and I, after um, working on our story Promises for Bio Arcana, we were talking about wanting to work on a longer project. Matt was just like, what genre would you like to draw what what do you like drawing which is something no artist gets asked <laughs> um and i was like oh i don't know i was slightly taken back i was like oh i don't know something something fun um so he got back to me with several ideas and then came up to me with like mice archaeologists uncovering a human skull and i was like i'm sold <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, that was basically where the story kind of sparked from. And mm. yeah, from, from issue one, that probably is my favourite image because it does just encapsulate everything that that is mob really. It's it's a great image as well. I know the one you're on about, um, and mm. uh, you know when I see it. But I, I love the. I also love the. I love the way you you did the the uh, the car. You know when when they're being shot at. Mm. Uh, that, oh that, yeah. That sequence leading up to that. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> I do spend half my time when I'm drawing the mice, especially when they're pulling like such extreme expressions like they are in that panel. It's, I can't remember what page it is now. I think it's, it's not four. Is it early on? Is that? It, it is very early on. It is page yeah. four. It is page four. Oh my God. <laughs> um, I, I'm just there kind of giggling all the way through drawing those pages. Like, oh my God. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's complete and utter mouse squeeing going on. <laughs> I, I think that for me definitely shows. That's why I get so excited every time I see Sarah's <laughs> artwork because I can see how much love she puts into it and how excited she is. And I get incredibly excited by our characters and our story. I mean, I, I don't think we probably would be working on it. I don't think you probably should. If, if you're not into your story, you're probably writing the wrong story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, one one thing I loved about, about about the story was, you know, what what you said with the stone tablets, um, you know, which, which found that the more or less, uh, the more or less told the same story of the great flood in Egyptian and Greek, 
Mm-hmm. And I found that kind of fun, you know, and, and also I also it's something that could actually happen in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where where did that come from? Where did you get that idea from? Uh, well, I I used to actually, although it's not directly related yeah. to archaeology, I used to work as an archaeologist, and most of what is in the first issue of Mulp, those stories are actual stories from Egyptian and Greek mythology. So um, there, there was no invention there. That's weaving weaving our story into existing world myth. Cool. Yeah, because I really like that. And, um, and like I said, it, it just kind of remind it, it, it kind of struck me as something that could actually happen. Because if you look, mm. at, if you look at the various different religions, you know, mm. um, it's so like more often than not, it's the same stories. Yes, absolutely. And and that that was very much the point. So the the two stories, the Egyptian story and the Greek story, although told differently, are the same stories. The the culture's uh, interpretation in some respects of the same events. I mean, I don't want to go into it too too much Mm -hmm. because we explore it a little bit more in the next issue. So um, that's the whole point. It's meant to be a journey of discovery. So we'll reveal more and more of the archaeology and what it means as the story goes on. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you... If if, um, if 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 this one sells well, can you see yourself doing uh, doing another mini series with the same characters and maybe song like um, having a? I want to more? anyway. Yeah, yeah. But, but, <laughs> so, so, Sarah and I have already discussed it, and uh, we've had such good reaction to it already. But we're, we're kind of in love with the little world that we're yeah. kind of creating at the moment. So we already have ideas for other mm-hmm. stories because it. The whole pulp adventure with mice lends itself to so many things. Mm. So um, we already so have many, yeah. so many kind of like avenues to kind of explore. So many sort of time periods. I mean, mm. if we work sort of progressively on from where they are, we've got the Second World War. We've got all sorts to kind of explore with. Mm. And I'm, I'm yeah, definitely. <laughs> One image in particular that's like Sarah and I have been discussing, which has got nothing to do with the current kind of story, no. but both of us love the idea of a submarine and giant squid. Fire. Oh, because yeah. obviously you can do that because uh, you can just have a normal size squid which will be huge to the mice mouse submarine <laughs> I guess that's one thing we also probably should say about our story is our, our oh, mice yes. are actually mice sized in so. a regular sized world so the world as we know it with like large trees and everything but yeah. the mouse have kind of inhabited it so like for instance uh, although they're in Egypt and there's some scenes in Cairo the pyramids have been built by mice Mm-hmm. So the pyramids aren't taller than a palm tree. So you get same size. Yeah. Oh, cool. It's, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I just saw. I just had an idea. You could maybe do. You could maybe do do an adventure where they where they go after some sort of Norse relic from Norse mythology Ooh. or something. <laughs> so there's loads that we can do. I mean, I, I yeah, I love archaeology. Yeah. Uh, so I, I studied it and worked for like several years in the field. And yeah, Sarah loves history too. And there's so many things that we can do. So um, yeah, uh, we've got plans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> got a bit of an art question here for Sarah, Sarah actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually loved your artwork in the book. Um, and, Yay, thank and you. Just wondering how you managed to adapt um, the technology of a period to the characters and such. Um, and um, what what kind of research did you do in order to sort of like get everything so it was a period specific? Extensive, <laughs> extensive research. Um, literally, while Matt was writing up the outline and everything, um, he'd already written up character bios and everything. So um, I went out and uh, looked for a load of reference for 1930s clothing for men and women. I looked up um, uh, what London and Egypt and Cairo and all that looked like in the 1930s to kind of get that right as well. Um, the vehicles, um, that Bentley, I've got so many reference pictures of it from every single angle so I could draw it. <laughs> um, uh, the guns and, uh, yeah, all sorts of planes and um, the mice themselves, they're all different um, sort of species. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, all the Egyptian mice are indigenous to Egypt, so they are Egyptian mice, um, mouse species. Um, so I had to look what, um, research what they look like and everything and dress them in kind of like um, traditional clothing. So they look like they were in a whole different sort of culture um, to um, our sort of English um, mice, our British mice. Um, and then again, when they go into England, it's a completely different colour palette. And yeah, everything looks yeah like they've changed location and everything. 
Um, yeah, the research you did was really extensive. Mm. And I um, mean, your eye, when I mean, your art is fantastic, your eye for colour is superb. So again, yeah. sort of like the, the palettes, right, for all of them. We, Sarah did loads of tests of all the mice and, and their kind of costumes and how... Mm. Um, they uh, complement each other depending on yeah. sort of like how the, the, the pairings of mice kind of break down sort of like in the story so that not only do they have their own kind of look they kind of complement sort of the characters they're mm. I guess most akin to that's the thing um, yeah each character has its own colour palette so despite them changing um, costume throughout the, the the story the series you can tell which mouse is which even from a distance Mm-hmm. So um, Jack wears um, brown and blue. So no matter what he's wearing, no matter what kind of like combination of clothes, he's always wearing brown and blue. You can tell he's the one because he's wearing brown and blue. And the same for Cornelius. He wears um, like beige and green. And um, uh, Vicky, Vicky Jones, she wears um, orange and like brown. Um, Jack and Vicky are most p- compatible, so they're wearing complementary colours, blue and orange. <laughs> so they look good when they're next to each other, and yeah, mm-hmm. just seem to work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I love the story, and I just love the whole notion of um, of, of, of um, animals, whether it be mice or, or rats or frogs or any anything, mm. you know, mm. you know, something like, tank, you know, it's kind of like Indiana Jones with mice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and some of that is a big influence on us. So that, I mean, there's lots of things. Um, there's a bit of Tintin as well. Mm. So mm. both Sarah and I love that. Um, and we're, we're kind of like fans of, um, uh, did you read things like Brian Talbot, sort of like his Granville books? Yeah, I've got the first two. I've got the first two Granville books. And I've got mm-hmm. to get the third at some point and not got around yeah, to it. Do. But I absolutely, <laughs> I absolutely adore those, those books and I adore yeah. his work. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're fantastic books. Mm. Um, and, and it's actually um, Brian Tolbert, in a way, that's turned me on to sort of like reading comics that have anthropomorphic characters. Mm. You know, the release of Lisa Granville, because before that, it was just sort of like wind in the wingles when I was a kid. Yeah. Mm, and yeah. I, I used to love that show. <laughs> yeah, Winter's Willow is just fantastic. I, I think the thing which got me into mice is I was a big fan of Brian Jax's Red Wall books. Uh, he was an author, uh, sadly he's passed away now, but he uh, did these beautiful stories about, uh, it was like an abbey uh, full of mice. And the all the local animals all shelter in the abbey when an army of rats come into the area, mm. and it's sort of like an adventure story about one of the, the young novice mice who ends up uh, becoming a warrior to kind of fight fight this army of rats. And there's a whole series of these books. So um, Brian Jack um, is the Red Wall series. Mm-hmm. There's also um, there's another anthropomorphic series. I've actually read one or two of them in the past, but I've never really got into it to a point where I've actually sort of become obsessed with it. There's another series called Mouse Guard, isn't there? I love Mouse Guard. Yeah. I was wondering whether you were going to mention it. <laughs> Which I, yeah, I, I both big that. fans of that. That's uh, uh, Dave Peterson, and his work is just beautiful. Gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> I remember like picking it up for the first time and it was like I flipped through a few pages and I must buy this. <laughs> it was so good, I fell in love with it straight away. The palettes are just wonderful and his character design is gorgeous as well. Yeah. It's just, mm-hmm. just mice with swords. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Sold. Absolutely kind of works. I mean there's so many good anthropomorphic stories out there. Um, one which I read recently, I think uh, I can't remember who suggested it, sort of a, sorry and I are always suggesting kind of books mm. to each other. I can't remember which way around it was this time. It was uh, Beasts of Burden. I suggested it to you, but you yeah. read it before I did. Oh, ah, okay. okay. <laughs> it's so, brilliant. Yeah, I'm that's well so worth taken aback by that. Um, Black Sad is another one. Mm. Love Black Sad. The character design, again, the, the expressions are just, just gorgeous. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. That was another one I bought straight away because I had to own it. <laughs> Absolutely stunning, Black mm-hmm. Sad. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. There is so many. The second you start actually looking into kind of, I guess, like the anthropomorphic tradition in comics, you suddenly realise that it's very long. There's been lots of books done over the years, and there's lots of books being done now. Actually, Brian Talbot does this really good lecture. Mm. Uh, you can see online. Uh, there's like a YouTube video of it, but he, he goes into the whole kind of tradition of sort of anthropomorphic comics and talks about his own work on Granville, and that's well worth sort of the, the hour to, to listen to. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Yeah. He also goes into all the kind of like um, uh, art history sort of pastiches he works into his panels, mm. which is wonderful as well if you're a bit of an art history nerd like I am. <laughs> 
recognizing all these kind of like um, old um, paintings and things and panels. Yeah, I, I actually, I was actually lucky enough to uh, interview Brian Tolbert um, <laughs> around at the same time that he actually released uh, the first Granville book. Mm. Um, oh, it, was actually, it was actually a week or two before he released it. Um, and um, that, that was a, that was that was on the podcast that we did way back in probably two thousand and eight. Like it, was, yeah. um, it was going way back, but um, you know he, he's such a, such a such a nice nice guy and mm-hmm. uh, re- really really talented. I just couldn't believe you know when when I seen Granville. I mean obviously mm. I'd seen I'd seen the video training for it online for months beforehand, mm-hmm. but when I actually got the, my first physical copy. I, I read through that in less than in less than forty five minutes, so it was just like yeah. straight through. <laughs> and, yeah, same. And, yeah, it's a really good story. It's like yeah, like rip roaring yarn. And really then it kind spent, of grabs you and pulls you in. Then I spent another hour or two just staring at the art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just so again same. <laughs> gorgeous. Um, and my last question, Ring, is, um, mm. you know, there are a lot of great comic book writers and artists out there. Um, who out of them would you would you say have been the most inspiration to you, to you, um, oh, you know, as okay. either writers or, or, or artists? I don't know. We can't just answer that a little yeah. bit. So, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I really do like Dave Peterson's work on Mouse yeah. Guard and Brian Talbot's work on Granville. Their, their work is fantastic. It is a big inspiration. Mm. Um, I don't know. Uh, 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 Pat Mills's stuff, uh, going outside of anthropomorphic stuff. Um, I do like the ABC Warriors and Slain. His work on that was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what about you, Sarah, from point 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 of view of um, other other artists other than Brian Talbot? And um, well, I definitely think the kind of work on Black Sabbath was absolutely amazing. The the just the character expression. It's so animated, and that's what I kind of like go for um, with my sort of character concepts. I mean, there are a few of them in the back of the comic, and. I know Matt was saying that I kind of like work very much like an animator and that I kind of like explore every single aspect of the character so I know how to draw them in mm. every sort of angle and expression before I go into it. I love character design. Yeah. Um, which is beautiful to see, actually, that all those character designs that you've done are, are things which we'll, we'll put as back matter in the books yeah. as sort of like we release them. So, I mean, the way we're doing kind of the issues of the comic, we've got some space at the back which we can show off like Sarah's artwork or explore kind of like, um, like script process if people are interested in that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's that work you do on all of their expressions is it, just it's not wasted in the slightest because it, it, it shows in the final work on the page. I enjoy it so much as well. I just love, yeah, designing characters and bring them to life a little bit on the page. <laughs> yeah, it's not, you know, like like saying the first few pages where you got the uh, what got the mice with the guns, the expression on that mouse's face is priceless. <laughs> it's just like, it's like <laughs> I'm gonna get you. <laughs> I want to have. <laughs> You know, and you know when I was reading, when I was reading, you know, the, the dialogue for that for that bit was they were talking to each other in the car sort of thing, or mm-hmm. by by you know just the vision of the of the mouse and the expression on its face with the gun. Um, I had this whole line of dialogue of what 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 was must have been going through this mouse's <laughs> mouse's mind. It was just so mm-hmm. like it. You know, that's just how powerful that 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 is, really. Cool. Um, but yeah, I really, I really enjoyed the book, and um, I can't wait for the trade. <laughs> well, we're going to keep on working away at it, so uh, we're hoping to get the next issue out. Uh, we're aiming to have it done for Christmas, mm. so uh, it should hopefully be out around then or just a little after. And uh, yeah, we're just going to get our heads down. I mean, it's going to be five issues in total. Yeah. Uh, but the, the first issue is out now and is available from well. It's, uh, there's a lot of um, UK kind of shops that it's available from. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Page 45, Travelling Man, Gosh, yeah. and Orbital Comics have all been kind enough to stock it. Yeah. So um, they all have um, do mail order services as well, I believe. So yeah. people well, are after the first issue. I um, get all my books from Travelling Man. Oh, cool. Wee. There's a book there. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so... Yeah, it was, um, it, it's a good book. Um, I really enjoyed it. I can actually see it being an animated film or even a, even a video game at some point as well. You know, oh, okay, yeah. An animated film would be lovely. We had that actually was... talked about kind of like um, animating a little bit. I make um, little sort of needle felted plushies and I give them like a white armature inside. I have been meaning to at some point to find the time to actually make some of our characters and they could be animated. Yeah, I mean, uh, Sarah has but, like a background 
sound and animation. And yeah. She also lives with a, a great animator too. So you never Lizzie know. Johnson, shout out. <laughs> cool. Well, you know, it's been it's been great having you on the show, and um, you know, I'd love to have you back at some point. You know, if you if you do yeah. um, if you do a second mope adventure, we can. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'd love to come back. That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, Can I quickly say uh, it's uh, mopcomic.com is the place you need to go to to check out more about mop. Mm -hmm. There's a um, 12-page free preview on there as well. um, If anyone hasn't checked it out yet. Never mind a free preview. Just buy the book. Well, I don't know. We we kind of felt that. we're quite new in some respects like to comics and stuff and so we thought if we give people the first 12 pages they can make up their own minds whether they like it or not and um yeah that seems to be working out okay it, yeah i guess you know I, I know where you're coming from it's just i'm, I'm just saying you know i'm just saying to, to to the listeners forget the 12 pages just get the book yeah. <laughs> you know well, yeah. Well, thank, thanks for being on the show. It's been it's been great having you, and um, you know, I'm, I really look forward to wish you too. Hi, my name is Steve Lund, and I play the character of Nick Sorrentino on the Sci-Fi and Space series Bitten. You are listening to SciFiPulseRadio.com, taking the pulse of Sci-Fi. Here at SFP Now, I think we're pretty sure we um, got our priorities straight. wraps uh, things up for this week um, I'd like to thank uh, Matt Gibbs and Sarah Duncan for being our guests this week and I'd also like to thank Raisa for joining us for the, uh, for the Doctor Who review part of the show uh, next week we'll be back with um, our, our review on Listen um, and hopefully Patrick will be joining us again um, for that as well so thanks for listening and um, hope you all have a great weekend